Good morning. It's good to see you guys this morning. Uh, there's some new faces in the crowd. We just want to say, glad you're here. Welcome. Make yourself at home. Hope you get challenged and encouraged. Whatever it is you need this morning, I pray that it won't be simply uh, human words that will do that. We pray that God will be living and active and communicating uh, to us this morning. Want to pass on words of gratitude from uh, people in South Lawrence. I know not all of you had the opportunity to go down and serve the past week, but several of you did. Uh, we, you know, you have this vision if there's a disaster, you know, that like all everybody's going to grab chainsaws and be doing these really, you know, crazy things. And what we mostly did was walk through people's yards and picked up little tiny pieces of shingle and glass and metal and sticks. How many sticks? Uh, more than the stars in the sky, I think. That's what we did. We kind of gleaned the fields of people's yards down there. And um, there was one older couple that we were helping last Sunday. They had this massive yard. Some of y'all were out there and we are gleaning their yard and just... It just felt like this is going to take forever <laughs> to do this. There's another family that we spent most of our focus, our time on. Um, family of six, two sets of twin boys. Is that the right way to say that? I don't know if I just made eight boys or four boys, but but four boys, all twins. And, um, and I, I got to be there an hour after the tornado hit in their yard and you know you can imagine how would you feel you know they're just kind of walking around the yard their house was completely destroyed and and uh we spent got spent a lot of time there and really be so want to say thank you from them to to our community that really served uh these people well and i think it was a real a real story of god in their lives that they got to witness that. So thank you so much for those of y'all who helped and those of y'all who, who've lifted up prayer on people. There you can imagine there's, I think, about 60 different homes that were destroyed and, and, um, and there in, in Linwood. And so people's lives are very disrupted. And, you know, the, the family of six, they're living in a camper right now until they figure out what's next. So it's an adventure for those four boys. They're loving it. You know, we get to live in a camper. Mom, not so much right now. So you can pray for Johnny and Leanne as they walk through their their journey together. So we've been starting a new journey, speaking of journey, called a journey to freedom. And we're looking at asking the question, what does it mean to be free? There's this powerful verse in the book of Galatians that says, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. So question, what comes floating into your mind when you think about being free? Because being free implies that there's areas in our lives that maybe we're not. The opposite of freedom would be enslavement. Maybe there's areas in our lives that are still invading what could be free in our lives. They're still maybe tormenting. Maybe there's areas of addiction in our lives. Maybe there's just areas of distraction. 
that keep us from God's vision, this for freedom I have set you free. So what comes to your mind? Free from... Fill in that blank. Is it isolation? Is it estrangement? Is it loneliness? Is it addiction? Is it worry? Is it anxiety? Is it constant discouragement? Perhaps depression? Is it sickness? Is it sadness? What is it? And Jesus, at the point someone makes a commitment to follow Christ, to entrust their entire life to Jesus, there's this declaration that gets made by God, and that's what Paul writes about in Galatians. You, be, you get declared free. Sin, distraction, the bondage that sin brings loses its grip on your life. It, it no longer has the ability to rule your life. <clears throat> that is true. But here's the deal. While God declares us free, we now enter a journey of being aware of, learning to grow in, learning to become that free person. I think those of us who've known God for a while understand this. God declared us free, but did we immediately begin walking in all that freedom? Most of us would say, yeah, that's a journey for us to experience that. Another way of saying this is when you begin a journey with God, you begin being shaped. Matt used that word a minute ago. We're looking at the book of Exodus, at least the first few chapters. Last week we looked at the chapter 1. We discovered a people enslaved. Today we're going to chapter 2 and we're going to discover a man. So I'm going to read this chapter to us. I'm going to ask you guys to stand and I'll, I'll read it. Uh, it'll take a couple minutes. But it's going to set the context as... After we read it, we're going to discover in this some pathways. Part of becoming a free person, not just having been declared free, but actually learning to experience that freedom, is discovering paths or ways of God. Today in Exodus 2, we're going to look at some negative examples of pathways because there's our way, often, and there's God's way. Often our way looks like the easy way. It looks like the uh, efficient way sometimes. It looks like the way that's our reaction. And then there's God's way. So we're going to see some examples of our way in this chapter. And hopefully we'll be able to contrast that with some of God's way. So why don't you stand and we'll... Give you the opportunity just to hear uh, God's word, Exodus 2. Now a man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, which probably just meant he was healthy, she hid him for three months. Why was she hiding him? Because the Pharaoh of Egypt had issued a declaration that all Hebrew male babies should be thrown in the river. That's how chapter 1 ended. 
When she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket, coated with tar and pitch, placed the child in it, and put it among the reeds among the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking along the river bank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her female slave to get it. She opened the basket saw the baby. He was crying, and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then his sister asked, shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, she answered. So the girl went and got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this baby and nurse him for me, and I will pay you. That's not uncommon, even still. In uh, the Middle East, even um, the more what we used to call the Far East, East Asia, to get a nursing uh, person to nurse the babies, still pretty common. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. When the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, saying, "I drew him out of the water." One day. After Moses had grown up, by the way, this is age 40, just to give you an idea, it's not 15, he's 40. He went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people, looking this way and that and seeing no one. He killed the Egyptian and he hid him in the sand. The next day he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. He asked the one in the wrong, Why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? The man said, Who made you ruler and judge over us? Not the first time Moses is going to hear that question, by the way. Or the last. The man said, Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? And Moses was afraid and thought, What I did must have become known. When Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to Midian, where he sat down by a well. Now a priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came to draw water and fill the trough to water their father's flock. Some shepherds came along and drove them away, but Moses... You know anything about Moses? He has a strong sense of justice. He has a strong sense of helping people who need help. Moses got up and came to the rescue and watered their flock. When the girls returned to Raoul, their father, he asked them, Why have you returned so early today? They answered, An Egyptian rescued us from the shepherds. He even drew water for us and watered the flock. So where is he, Real asked. Why did you leave him? Invite him to have something to eat. Moses agreed to stay with a man who gave his daughter Zipporah to Moses in marriage. Wow, that happened quick. <laughs> Zipporah gave birth to a son. And Moses named here Gershom, saying, I have become a foreigner in a foreign land. During that long period... The king of Egypt died. By the way, that's 40 years. So 40 plus 40. 
We're getting the first 80 years of Moses' life in one chapter. The rest of the half of the Old Testament is about the other 40, the next 40. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out. And their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. God heard their groaning. He remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. You can be seated. Three ways we're going to look at journey to freedom. One, from taking to trusting. Secondly, a journey from concealment. We'll see that in Moses' life. To confession. Third, from alienation to being shaped. Last week, we discovered a way of God. We discovered how God used two midwives, two socially marginalized people that weren't powerful in the culture at all. How God used these, quote, unimportant women to actually preserve a nation and to rescue a baby. Today, we discover three more women that God uses powerfully. First, Moses' mom, who hides Moses for three months at home. Can you imagine, moms, what that was like? Shh! Don't cry. Three-month little baby. Then at three months, she said, this is not working anymore. So she gets very creative. And she builds a little ark for this baby. And she hides him in the reeds. So I ride my bike in, uh, on the Firmer's Turnpike. And uh, this is one of the places I ride by four or five times a week. And I was riding by there this week thinking about little baby Moses. I rode by there and goes, there it is right there. There's baby Moses floating in that grass. By the way, that's a cornfield. They were formerly known as a cornfield before we got all the rain. Secondly is Moses' sister. Moses' sister doesn't constitute a big part of the story. She plays a very strategic role. She's standing by that water, that little ark. She's watching, and she's seeing this thing unfold. I think that's, I think that's the king's daughter. I think she's opening up that basket. She sees it. She's opening it up, and she makes a decision. I'm going to step in the middle of this. I'm going to intervene. Would you like me to go get someone to nurse the baby? That'd be great. And then there's Pharaoh's daughter. Scholars think Pharaoh's daughter is the 18th dynasty queen. She becomes queen. She has this real long name. It starts with an H that I can't pronounce. So I call her Queen Hattie. It starts with Hattie and then it just keeps going. So it's, this is Queen Hattie. Scholars think this is who this person is. We don't know much, that much about her from the Bible other than she has compassion on this little baby. You know, she didn't say, this is one of the Hebrew babies. What in the world is he doing here? He's not supposed to be here. He's supposed to be dead. It's not what she does. Do you see the irony? 
the daughter of this powerful pharaoh who's issued this ruthless decree to kill all these babies, his policy is being undermined by his daughter. Further, the irony, she has no idea she's rescuing the very person who's going to lead all her dad's 600,000 slaves out of his country. They're going to, in effect, defeat his kingdom. So, God uses the powerless once again, who are doing these undetected acts of compassion, of creativity, of courage. So, Moses gets to grow up in the presidential palace of Egypt. So then we come to verse 11. I'll read 11 and 12 for you, where he's now 40 years old. And it reads, One day he went out to where his people were and watched them at their hard labor. I don't know how many times he had watched them. But he is 40 years old. And he sees an Egyptian beating a Hebrew. And he looks this way. And that. That's a very middle... I, I was talking to George Bajackley, our friend from Lebanon this week. He goes, that's so Middle Eastern to say he looked that way and he looked that way. He said it's almost like a little bit of humor in this statement. And he sees no one. And he kills this man. I imagine this wasn't like simply a like spontaneous act. Moses has been watching his people getting beat for 40 years. I imagine he has a lot of anger about this. I imagine he's tired of it, like a lot of people were. All he had now here that was different from maybe the other days was an opportunity. That's what's different about today. Here's an Egyptian beating a Hebrew and ain't no one else around. Here's an opportunity. I can do something about this. And he does. He kills this man. He takes matters into his own hands. Second chapter of Acts in the New Testament talks a little bit, or the seventh chapter, talks a little bit about Moses. And he gives a little commentary, and it says this about this particular incident. Moses thought his people would realize God was using him to deliver them. So when Moses kills this man... He has in mind, it sounds like, I'm doing the work of God here. This is what's needed. I I have an opportunity here to do something, to make a difference. He thought God was using him, and he thought his people should see that. Here's the truth. God was beginning to shape Moses to use him to deliver his people. But it was not this way. This was man's way. Take advantage of this opportunity. Take matters in your own hands. Move while I can. This is not God's way. God's way is not like that. Sometimes we have, we'll hear this cliche, when the opportunity is there, take it. That's man's way. Sometimes God does give us opportunities that we should take. And we have to decide. They come And there will be some good to take. But when you go into business with God, 
And the shaping begins, that journey to freedom. One of the things you have to begin discerning and dissecting is that your ways and God's ways aren't always the same thing. You have to learn His ways. You have to learn where He's active. You have to understand His values. What He's up to. He wants to guide you in His way. They will frequently look very different than your way. The prophet Isaiah so said, My thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. As the heaven is higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. God has ways. He has paths. Part of your journey to freedom is the moving from your ways to God's ways. Hebrews 11 says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. So here's one of his ways. It's trust. It's faith. It's simply pausing when opportunities or challenges come into your life. And you feel that response, that the way that you want to react to this opportunity or this challenge. It may be a challenge. It may be something very hard in your life. And you may have a natural way you respond to that. It may be self-pity. It may be anger. It may be blaming someone else. It may be your way. We have to learn to stop and, inter- and intercept that, intervene, and say, God, what is your way? See, that, that transaction right there is an expression of faith. God, what is your way? How, do you, how are you seeing this challenge? How are you seeing this opportunity? Is this in line with who you are, with your values, your character? So Moses kills a man. And now he's got a crisis on his hand. It's one thing to kill a man. Now he's got a body. So one thing leads to another. He buries the dead man in the sand. So here's another way of men. Concealment. Concealment. Because it's not, it's not really the body Moses is burying. It's knowledge of what he did that he's burying. I mean, the body's just a piece of flesh now. He's, the life's gone out of this man. It has no value. What he's burying is his knowledge getting found out. Concealment. It never works. With Moses, it doesn't work out logistically. There's one thing he hadn't considered. He'd looked that way, and he'd looked that way, and there's only two people around, and he got rid of one of them. But apparently the guy that he rescued, I don't know if he was just really excited about it, or he didn't see it like Moses did. But apparently, whatever his name was, he squealed. He went back and told the town. You wouldn't believe what happened. Maybe they're sitting in the Egyptian bar that night. I have no idea. He has three or four whatevers, and he's telling the story. And word's out. This adopted son of Pharaoh is a murderer. 
So it didn't work out very well for him. So now Moses is a hunted man. Pharaoh wants to kill him. Maybe Pharaoh's been looking for a reason to kill him all along. Maybe he wasn't too excited that his daughter adopted him from the beginning. Now's my chance. So what's Moses do? He runs. He goes to Midian. So it didn't work out logistically. It didn't work out internally for Moses either. He runs to Midian. And guess what? He's going to spend the next 40 years sorting this out. What he's done. Concealment. One of the ways of God is bringing to light what we're hiding. If you go into business with God, one of the processes in your life is the layers in your life. At this point, Moses has layers now. There's the Moses that he wants you to see. There's the Moses he doesn't want anybody to see. He's a man with layers. Maybe, maybe like you. Maybe like us. We have layers. There's part of us we want others to see. Our strengths, our accomplishments, our achievements. Then we have those other parts. Those layers. Our sin. Our anger. Our frustration. Our impurity. Our brokenness. We're pretty good at displaying what we want people to see. We become very skilled at hiding our layers. We don't want people to see our true self. We, we come into the world with this true self and then we learn that true self needs protecting. I better develop strategies so people don't see what I did or what was done to me. We develop layers. So that's our way is develop layers and one thing about our sin and our shame and our brokenness is that stuff grows in the darkness. It grows like mold in darkness. God's way is very different than this. God's way is to bring that stuff in the light. If you go into business with God, one of the shaping activities He's going to do in your life is He's going to bring... The layers into the light. First John one seven says this if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. The way of man is concealment. The way of God is confession. When you go into business with God, He's going to begin peeling the layers. Sometimes it takes a long time to get the next layer peeled. Layers of guilt, of shame, of self-protection. The shadowy parts. Sometimes some of our indirect communication is just a way of masking. Because we don't want to talk straight. So Moses gets a soft 40. He didn't get a hard 40. Pharaoh was looking for hard 40. He gets a soft 40 in Midian. He gets 40 years. From age 40 to 80. He gets to work on this. Because here's the thing about God. 
He's very kind in the way he shapes us. He could just rip the layers back all at once. And say, I'm going to show everybody what's in there. It's not normally the way he does it. Sometimes he pulls it a little bit harder than we want at the time. But the thing about being shaped is he wants to participate with us in the way he's shaping. With him in the way that we've been shaped. So he generally doesn't peel back three or four layers at a time. He waits on us often. He wants us to be part of it. Because he's not out to ruin us. He's not out to add more shame. He does want to bring us into the light. So there may, there may be things in your life, like I don't know if I could ever get to that place. I'm not sure I could ever tell that. I'm never, not sure I could ever bring it into light. I just want to say to you, that's God's vision for your life. He, he'll be very kind to you. Sometimes it may not feel like kindness, but He will be. He wants to bring that stuff into the light. Because He has a vision for freedom from that for you. He wants, he wants you to get loose of that. If he thought you could stand it, he'd pull them all back at once. Let's just get this over with. But you know what? He knows the human heart. Because he formed it. And he works with us. The more you can cooperate with that shaping, that peeling back, the faster it'll go. But you can't necessarily rush it. Sometimes that's foolish. So you work with God on the next layer. And you bring your life into the light. And you start with Jesus. Matt, in a few minutes, Matt's going to give us this incredible passage from Scripture. And we're going to give you some space to, to, do, to do business with it. it. It talks about approaching God with our stuff, with, with confidence, even boldness. So we start walking into the light with Jesus. It's a good and safe place. We have this high priest who's not unaware of our weaknesses, of our brokenness, of our layers. And once we get a hold of that, we can actually bring our stuff to Him with confidence. That you know what? He's not going to take advantage of you when you bring your stuff into the light. That's the kind of God we serve. God's way is light, it's honesty, it's clarity, it's truth and love, it's confession. So this, this confession thing is really, really important in order to be a healthy person, in order to be a healthy community. Learning the way of confession. Confession is not a way to remind you how awful of a person you are. Confession is bringing our brokenness into the light, honestly. And when we do that with Christ, heads up. He'll, he'll shape you in a way that you'll do it with others. Because the church is what? The body of Christ. What can feel really risky, can it? Bring that stuff to another person, into my CLC, into my life group. It can feel really risky. And you know what? It is. It is when you start entrusting your stuff to another person. Will they take advantage of it? You hope not. 
You want to be wise, but we're broken people. You have to be willing to have courage to do that. It's not enough just to confess with God and say, I'm not going to tell anybody else. God will work with you there. He'll be kind to you, but you need to bring it into the light. We have fellowship with one another. The reality is, we're all broken. It took me years to bring... I, I, you know, I'm sure I probably have some stuff I still need to bring in the light. Honestly, I don't know what they are. I've brought everything I know to bring. But it's took a long time. So, it's brought me tremendous freedom. I hope that will be your story. So Moses gets this soft 40 in Midian. And then I want you to look at verse 22. I think I put it on the slide. Yeah. So Moses is in Midian. He marries Zipporah. She gets pregnant. They have a baby. He named his name Gershom, I think it is. And here's what the name means. I've become a foreigner in a foreign land. How'd you like to have that name? I don't belong anywhere. That's my name. I think there's something to learn here from Gerson. We kind of skip over. Remember, names are important. Moses, I think, is saying, I am completely alienated now. I don't belong in Egypt anymore. My adopted family, is looking, is, they're hunting me. I don't belong with Israel, my true kinship, my blood family. I'm just known as a murderer to those people. Now I'm in Midian. I don't belong here. I'm a true alien. And not not only that, I am alienated from myself. Because I have this secret that I'm carrying around. So here I am, alienation. That's a way of man. We become aliens. We carry our stuff. We won't bring it into the light. And what do we experience? All kinds of strategies to keep it safe. We spend a lot of energy managing all that. And we become aliens, even to ourselves. If you're a psychologist, you can do a lot better job talking about this than I can. But I know it's true. Human heart becomes a stranger even to itself. And this was Moses. So he gets a soft 40 figured out. God knows Moses. Moses is not an alien to God. God knows him. He knows his heart. He knows how he made him. He knows his family. He knows his heritage. God has a vision for Moses to belong In fact, God has a vision for Moses that would just blow the top of his head off if he knew about it. Thank God he doesn't yet. It would have ruined him if he had known it. But God has it. He has plans for Moses, just like he does you. He's got a vision for your life. He's got an idea of how he wants you to use you to bless people all over the place. In lots of different ways. God knew Moses. 
Moses messing up didn't thwart God's plans. Might have slowed it down, I don't know. Hell, that's above my pay grade. But I do know God had a vision for Moses. And you know what? God didn't give up on Moses. He didn't say like, oop, thou shalt not kill. That's like number three or whatever. Better find somebody else. In fact, later as we'll see, even when God's calling Moses to lead his people out of slavery, it's Moses that's saying, you got this wrong, God. Apparently I didn't send you the resume. Why don't you pick my brother? He's got a little cleaner bill of health than me. God says, no, Moses. I have vision for you. I've shaped you. I've seen your sense of justice and compassion. Yeah, you can be a little bit impulsive. And we'll keep working on that. And they did. It's not the last time Moses is going to do stupid, something stupid, by the way. But God stays with him. See, here's the deal. When, God, when we go into business with God, He declares us free. But he doesn't just zap us and make us free. He could. He could put his healing hand on you and say, be free and be done with it. And you would be a perfectly good designed robot if he did that. Mm-mm. He, the way he works with humanity, is the same way he came to humanity. Wrapped up in flesh. In the chaotic and the, the rhythms of like crazy and common life. But you know what? He stays with us the whole way. He doesn't check out just because we screwed up. He stays right there. Isn't that encouraging? I mean, how many times are we having to learn the same daggum lesson over and over again? I wish I could just get new ones sometimes. So from alienation to being shaped by God. I I want to just pause and say, do you know what a privilege it is to be shaped by God? If you don't have a relationship with Christ, what you're left with is taking matter in your own hands, concealing your shame and alienation. I'm not trying to be harsh, I'm just trying to be true. That's what you have. When you give your life to Jesus, all that changes. Now there's this vision, there's this plan, there's this shaping from taking matter in your own hands. And you'll keep doing it probably, if you're like most of us, to learn to really trust God with the opportunities and challenges of your life. There's going to be a vision, there's going to be a plan from concealing your junk to confession of it and coming into the light. And becoming a free person. There's going to be this vision, this plan from alienation where, where you feel estranged. You don't belong anywhere. To like finding citizenship in the kingdom of God. And finding a, a community, a, a people around you who say, yeah, we know you're messed up. We know you still have issues. But you know what? You belong with us. And we can do life together. That's called the church.
Let's land the plane. Last two verses. Last three. During that long period, the king of Egypt died. And the Israelites groaned in their slavery. They cried out. And their cry for help, because of their slavery, went up to God. God heard their groaning and, be remem- and remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. The most important word in this text is the first one, during. Why do I say that? Because it's easy to get the idea that this has been going on for 80 years. This has been 80 plus years of enslavement for this people. This has been 80 years of God shaping the man he's going to use to lead them out of slavery. It's easy to get the idea that now at year 80, like God starts paying attention. He's kind of waking up. Like maybe he had other fish to fry all this other time. He's like, oh, see what's going on down there in Egypt now. Mm-mm. That's not what this text is saying at all. God's been watching this whole time. He's been listening to the cries. He's been attentive. He's seen them. He's been at work in them. And they say, well, why hasn't God intervened earlier? Well, that's above my pay grade. I do know this. God has been shaping a leader. God has been preparing a suffering people. So what this text is saying to us is now God is getting ready to intervene. See, man's way, anytime's right. Take the opportunity, grab it, run with it. God's way is not anytime is right. There's a right time. I don't know how many times I have seen people make decisions, right decision, wrong time. They, they say, this is a good thing to do, so therefore just, just do it. Well, that's man's way. In God's ways, you learn there's timing. God works in time and space. And that can be hard because often we have to be in the position of waiting on His timing. But now God's ready to move. And, and what the writer's telling us here at the end of chapter 2 is get ready. You better strap it on. Because God's getting ready to, to go from this like subversive shaping using midwives and a mom and a sister and a daughter and, and like he's listening but all this stuff is going on underneath. God's ready to step on the stage and say it's now my time. And there's this message like, I hope his leader and his people are ready. Because he's getting ready to move. We have ways. God has ways. Our journey to freedom is going to mean learning his ways and learning to live in them. When we do that, we begin experiencing great success doesn't mean it's easy. It just means we're doing it God's way and He adds His blessing to that in ways greater than you can imagine. Greater than you can dream. Matt, if you guys would come on up. I asked Matt to just really just bring God's Word to us this morning and and speak His heart uh, to us as we come to Him. We're going to end our time with just Asking God, what's He speaking about His way for my life? And challenging you to come to Christ with confidence. 
with that. Matt? So we're going to read um, a passage from Hebrews that kind of ties in uh, to this. And, and I want to do this a, a little bit different. So I'm just going to read it three times. Okay? And uh, the first time that I read it, I just want you to just really, like, you don't have to think that hard about it. Okay? So I'm just kind of reading it, kind of getting our, our brains around it. You're just hearing, hearing the word and just kind of letting it go over you. Okay? Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. I want to tell you two quick stories about confession. So my son Hudson, who's 10 now, when he was about three years older, maybe, um, and he was the only child. And so I, I go out in the backyard, and there's someone has colored with a marker all over the outside of our house, like on, to, on the siding. And I said, Hudson, who colored on the side of our house? And he looked at me square in the face, and he said, Mimi did it. This is my mom, Mimi, who lives in Florida. <laughs> no. um, so, <laughs> which just kind of led to a history and a story of like, truth telling and, and you know having to work through confession that's one story of, of one of Hudson's not so great confessions uh, the second the second story would be oh this is probably eight months ago or something Steph and I are upstairs and uh, I had just I had just bought this like I'd been looking at this flat screen tv for a really long time and I'm kind of hedging hedging and not wanting to get it so finally I, I was like I'm gonna get this to tv and I was very proud of it and it was down it was downstairs in our basement and all of a sudden I hear this like wailing and, and Hudson and, and Elliot both come upstairs and they're both just weeping and crying and sobbing and I'm like, what happened? What happened? What's going on? Why, what's wrong? And they, I've never seen them react this way. And they're like, we, we threw something downstairs and we hit your TV and it's broken, you know, and they were like, like they were ready for, they thought I was going to kill them basically. So they're, 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 oh, they are weeping and, and crying. And, and so we go downstairs and they show me and, uh, and you know what, Be, you know, they can, they brought that confession, you know, and I was like, well, you know, I have the power to, to fix this, you know, I can get another one, but you're going to have to partner with me, you know, to, to do it, you know. And so that was kind of the second story of, of confession. And so, you know, in those two, one, one was a hiddenness, you know, and one was a bringing, you know, with genuine, well, maybe a little fear, but genuine sorrow, uh, you know, in, into the light, uh, and we were able to, you know, fix the situation. And uh, so I'm going to read this, I'm going to read this passage again. I want you to do a little, uh, what we call divine imagination exercise with me here. We've all got a body buried in the desert somewhere. And the thing is, Jesus knows it's there. And he knows what's buried in the sand in Egypt. And so I'd ask you guys to close your eyes. And I want you to imagine with me that we are in a desert. And you know that you've buried something there. Because before you did it, you looked this way. And you looked that way. And no one was looking. And there's something that no one knows about. It may be a small thing. It may be an identity issue. Maybe a large thing. Something that you're struggling with an addiction to. A place in your life of, of stuckness that, that you've buried. You dug the hole. You put it in. You covered it over. 
And the worst thing to you would be that someone would find out and then you would be made known. And I want you to imagine that you're walking beside Jesus. And he knows. And he's not judging you. But with compassion, you guys walk hand in hand. And you and he both pick up a shovel. You start digging. And you uncover it. What is it? What's there? What was it that you buried in the sand? Therefore, since we have a great high priest who ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we don't have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, and yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. I'm going to read it once more. Now that thing that you've uncovered, I want you to bring it. I want you to bring it. And so I'm going to ask just, and this is, I'm just going to take some liberties, but, but if you're a, um, a common life leader, uh, or if you are um, maybe with Project Impact and you're a leader in Project Impact, if you'd be willing to maybe like just come up here to the front and uh, just so that if you would like someone to pray with you, just as a third step in this third time, and then we're going to sing and play um, as a responsive time, but one of the ways you could respond is to journal it, to bring it out into the light. You could come and, and ask for prayer and bring it to someone here. Okay? Um, so there, there's going to be several ways like that you could, you could respond but I'm going to read it one more time, and, uh, and then we're going to sing together. And let's respond in, in, um, to what we've heard this morning. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, and yet did not sin. Therefore... Let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Let's sing together.